Thank you, James. Uh, so, thank you very much indeed, everybody, for coming along this afternoon. Um, so that members of the Reuters programme know, we're also joined this afternoon by members of two other programmes here at Oxford, the Oxford Intelligence Group and also the Changing Character of War programme, which is run out of Pembroke uh, College. So, welcome to everybody this afternoon. Um, I don't think John needs any introduction, but I'm going to do one anyway. Um, I'm sure many of you know John, but John is a senior research fellow here at the Reuters Institute and an editor-at-large at the FT, has been a distinguished correspondent and author for many years, and um, I think one time was correspondent in Moscow for the yes. FT, so that may well come into a conversation um, later, and is currently writing a book on this very uh, subjects, spies and journalists, the impossible relationship. And I think we all know that there's not a question mark at the end of, of, <laughs> of, of, the, of the title. So, John, it's with great pleasure. Over to you. Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, I was in, in uh, Moscow for some years as a correspondent. And one day, a couple of years after I began, the office manager, who was, of course, called Natasha, came to see me and, and said, you know, I'm, I'm reporting on you for the KGB. So I said, fine, it wasn't in your employment contract, but uh, whatever turns you on. And he, uh, she said, would you speak a little more slowly, please? <laughs> because I must get it down. So I said, well, what do you tell them? I'm not, you know, I'm just doing what a journalist does. He said, yes, I have to make it up mostly. And so I said, well, join, join the queue of people of journalists who make it up mostly. Uh, uh, the, the idea for this uh, Spies and Journalists, which is now going to be a best-selling book at the end of this year, uh, published by Reuters Institute and our publisher, I.B. Towers, um, came from a discussion last year where, in the editorial committee where we thought that for two reasons we should tackle this issue. One was that um, the relationship between uh, the secret services, the intelligence agencies, and journalism has always been fraught uh, for a century since uh, the secret services took on a an organized form in this country and in, in uh, United States, actually United States much later, really not until after the last war, and France, which, uh, um, as usual with France, was first in, in forming a, um, a, a spy center of a, of a sort it then developed. Um, and we thought that, that the relationship was fraught and now was more important and more central than it had been in the past because of the huge expansion in the secret services, especially in America where it is vast and something like nearly a million people have high level clearance, uh, including one Edward Snowden, um, uh, for seeing secret confidential documents. <coughs> and. There are some 17 agencies uh, of different kinds, which are broadly speaking security agencies. But it's also true here where the, uh, the amount of resources um, which are given to the secret services have doubled, I think, in the last decade. Uh, and it's certainly true in France where the, the growth has, has also been large and especially large in the last year after the Charlie Hebdo 
um, uh, killings at the beginning of last year and then the, the attacks, which were even more bloody um, in November of last year. So the three main centers in the West of um, uh, three main intelligence centers have all greatly increased, uh, have also, of course, greatly increased their, their grasp and reach, uh, especially in their listening agencies, uh, the NSA in America and the GCHQ in the, in, uh, in the UK, the two most important of them. Uh, and because of that, then you have this, this large institution or series of institutions at the center of the state, which journalism um, can't really get at. And hence, the, what we say, we journalists say, is we hold power to account. We, we use that phrase all the time. Uh, this large, important uh, group of inst institutions, we can't do that to. So that was one reason. The second one was that in the last few years, the, uh, in the last five or six years, we've seen the, the explosion, or the, the, the growth of leaking. And the two most obvious are uh, Julian Assange's WikiLeaks, uh, which emerged at the end of the, the first decade of the century, and uh, even larger, the, the trove of documents which uh, Edward Snowden took from the NSA, and which some of which have been published via the medium of um, a group of journalists whom he named as, as it were, his executors, um, prominent among them being Glenn Greenwald, who now is the head of uh, an organization called The Intercept, which was founded, uh, some of you may have consulted it, uh, as a web-based web um, publication founded and funded by Pierre Omidyar, who started eBay, and a group of people have formed around Greenwald who are essentially uh, investiga investigative journalists, and it's also a medium for publishing more and more of Snowden's stuff. What Greenwald, above all, and uh, also Assange, uh, still, still uh, living in the embassy, um, say is that because of, um, of what happened, what Snowden revealed above all, um, that is that the US and the UK especially had programs of bulk collection of people's data, communications data, because they were doing that and had not told the citizens whose, whose communications they were collecting, um, they had therefore forfeited, they'd lost uh, any right to trust from the public. And journalism must take account of that and must take account of that by becoming not just skeptical, which is the, the, uh, the, the proper position, proper attitude a, a journalist should take, um, but actually aggressive, should, um, should use their journalistic skills to um, not, uh, not just to describe, indeed not to describe what, uh, what uh, governments do, but to get at their the oppression which they see as as uh, being visited upon the public, the secrets which they hold from the public, the way in which they uh, suppress uh, um, commentary and um, and censor journalism, or 
as they would put it, self-censored journalism. So these two things seem to us to be uh, worth investigating, and there I uh, volun volunteered to do it, and it's now become a book which has taken up much of the last year, really, uh, or certainly the last six months. And really there are three or four things that I've come up with. One is, as I've said before, that this was a problem for journalism and remains one, remains a large problem for journalism, that since we do say that we hold power to account, we sometimes do it badly, um, we sometimes don't do it at all, uh, we often get it wrong, there are many other ways of holding power to account, etc., etc. Nevertheless, what we say and what is clearly the case, that we have the freedom to, or we take the freedom to hold power, especially government power, to account. Uh, sometimes it's done quite well. Sometimes uh, revelations happen, which are important for people to know, which would not otherwise have been revealed, or certainly not at that time, uh, had there not been a, um, a, a press, by press I also mean broadcasting, uh, had there not been news organizations to do it. Uh, and, as I said, uh, though that goes on in democratic countries, not obviously in authoritarian countries, but it does go on in democratic countries in various degrees of efficiency, it stops, more or less stops, at the door, if you know where the door is, to the secret services. Um, the secret services, in order to work, uh, in order to provide a service, must be secret. Uh, and most journalists um, agree that, that at least part of it must be secret, although there's obviously a lot of room for debate about how secret um, and what should remain secret. Um, in journalism for, uh, in journalism which calls itself democratic, it has to recognize that at the same time as recognizing that its job is also to try to hold to account at least retrospectively what the agencies are doing. What it can't do, and most journalists would, would agree it shouldn't do, is to, is to do what it does with, say, politics or business or, or the economy or, of course, sports and the arts. It doesn't have a day-to-day -day ability to see what it's doing, to comment on, to report on what the Secret Services are doing. In that sense, it cannot hold to account. It can, and in the last decade especially, it has held to account retrospectively. And this is especially true, I think, of American journalists. It's very, very impressive to see what has come out from uh, the United States, from the large numbers of security correspondents working both for newspapers and for broadcasting and increasingly on the web, um, what they've done to illuminate, of course, as I say, retrospectively, what has happened in the war uh, in the war against terror. My view is, and it's been, I went to the States and talked to a number of journalists and others and people who were, had been in the secret services for some time, uh, and the journalists mainly said that part of the impetus for doing this, writing books, and many, many books now have been written, some of them extremely good, some of them appalling in the sense, not because they were appalling books, but they tell appalling stories. Uh, that they did so because they felt that they had been 
less than vigilant on keeping the administration, then the administration of George W. Bush, to account before the Iraq war. They hadn't, they hadn't um, interrogated enough the reasons for war and accepted too much what the White House, the Defense Department, and others had told them about it. And that feeling of guilt, if you will, professional guilt, impels them now to do an even more thorough job on what happened, especially what happened with the CIA, the tortures which were uh, committed under the aegis of the CIA, or um, uh, when the CIA um, and others um, flew people abroad to be sometimes back to where they came from, sometimes not, to, uh, to be forced to confess under torture by other regimes which use torture normally. So uh, that was one part of it. The second part is, um, as I said before, it was we wanted to investigate what the new radicals had brought to the table. Assange of WikiLeaks uh, and Snowden, who's um, who does speak for himself, it's a very interesting, if you haven't seen it already, uh, film made by Laura Poitras, um, uh, which essentially is just, um, much of it anyway, is, is Snowden talking to Greenwald and to others, uh, but it's very revealing indeed. Um, uh, but more than Snowden himself, his, if you like, to a degree, mouthpiece has been Glenn Greenwald, who has been the most active of the, his collaborators. Uh, and they both say that, again, as I said, that journalism now can no longer simply be skeptical. It now must be uh, hostile. Uh, and has that, has that changed things? And, uh, should we, we journalists, especially journalists who do security, um, should, they, should we follow that example? Uh, and if so, how? I found when I was talking to younger journalists especially, and oddly, at least oddly for me, especially in France, many of them had taken the view that Greenwald puts across. <coughs> they should now be aggressive rather than simply skeptical uh, that they didn't trust the, the French secret services or the French state. <coughs> Actually, in France, there's a tradition of not, not uh, trusting the secret services much higher than it is in either the UK and in the US, which tend to trust their secret services. They don't in France, and they, but the younger people think that the proper attitude is the one which uh, Glenn Greenwald and Julian Assange <coughs> take. Assange, again, is worth reading. Uh, he's written a great deal, um, uh, and it, although he's, he's given no program for journalism, what one can extract from what he writes is that he believes that governments, he comes, he's not consistent, but broadly speaking, he believes that governments are oppressors rather than people who simply do the business of keeping the show on the road. Um, that he, that, that they uh, are in business to keep secrets, to use secrets in order to control people, and they control people partly in league with the media, uh, and um, partly by use of the secret services. So he's, he's a convinced radical in that sense, and he believes that the way in which 
uh, that can be broken uh, is to a degree through journalism, but, but by leaking, by getting at the people within the system who will leak out the secrets of the system, government, secret services, military, and so on, um, and therefore destroy the efficiency of governments by having everything out in the open. They no longer have secrets, he thinks, therefore, they will no longer have power. And he's put that across very powerfully for the last five, six, seven years, and, and still does. And although he's a man who quarrels with nearly everybody uh, and uh, has, uh, has followers who then get fed up with him, he then gets other followers, nevertheless, he does reach across that into being seen as again, especially by younger journalists, by younger people, as an avatar of his time, of the times, and as an influential force, um, one who, who illuminates the nature of, our, uh, of, our, of the government and our societies. The third thing is that I, what I say is that, that and this is an opinion, I suppose, uh, but it seems to grow out of the experience of many of the, the mainstream investigative reporters, and that is that, that um, there's a kind of twofold duty, it's aware of, of investigative reporters. One is to investigate, of course, uh, is to find out what is hidden. Investigative reporting does usually work in areas which other people want to conceal, uh, areas of importance in public life, things that people should know but don't. Uh, and that um, means that, uh, that, that you have to take a, a fairly radical view, radical in the sense that you believe that there are many secrets kept and that they are harmful and should be put out in the open. Um, but they also have to believe that there are limits to what is published. And that's true of both of reporters and editors. And the, um, uh, that twin responsibility, as it were, the responsibility to illuminate, investigate, and reveal, and at the same time, the responsibility to recognize that in a democratic society, democratic politics takes precedence, uh, and at some point, you have to stop. Um, uh, makes the job of the investigative journalists quite hard um, uh, and complex. Uh, that's put very powerfully indeed, again, mostly in the United States. In the States, journalism tends to be much more discussed as a central part of the, uh, of, of the democratic state, more than here and I think more than in other, in other countries. Um, uh, one of the people that um, Snowden, um, one of the three people whom Snowden um, fingered as being his, uh, the people who would, his media for putting out the, um, the, um, the leaks that he got from the NSA, one of them was a man called Barton Gelman who worked for the Washington Post and I think still does, at least from time to time. Uh, and Gelman had done a number, he was an investigative reporter, he'd won or shared a Pulitzer Prize with colleagues from the Washington Post, was very well known. Um, 
and did get a number of, of um, files from, uh, from Snowden, but treated them quite differently from both Poitras and, above all, from, uh, from Greenwald. And he said when he was uh, uh, interviewed that, I see no evidence that the government is assembling these tools, that is, the, the bulk collection of data, uh, assembling these tools in order to spy on political opponents or corruptly to serve some private interest or things that you worry about with the Big Brother analogy, the Big Brother from Orwell's 1984. Uh, and he said that surveillance has achieved very important goals, has found very important facts that have served American security, not all in the field of counterterrorism, but we care a lot about the spread of nuclear weapons. We care a lot about certain activities undertaken by foreign governments, which are a threat. So I'm not, absolutely not, making the claim that this stuff, the NSA operations, does not serve American securities, um, American security. But he also believed at the same time that increasingly we are living behind one-way mirrors in which government knows more and more about us and we know less and less about what they are doing. So the, the two go together. This sense that um, uh, that one that you need um, secret services. Um, on the other hand, you need to know as much about them as you can safely, both for them and for the country, put into the public domain. Um, that marked, it seems to me, a difference between the mainstream investigative reporter and the Assange, Greenwald, Snowden approach, where um, certainly Assange, <coughs> to a large extent Greenwald, don't really believe that there is, a, there is a, an inhibition at the end. When Greenwald had an, had an uh, when Assange had an argument with the, uh, with, with the Guardian some time ago, I think in 2011, when they were publishing some of his stuff, uh, and an investigative reporter called David Lee um, annoyed him in some way, he dumped all of the diplomatic cables which were being carefully redacted by the Guardian onto the web, everything, so that everybody could read everything without taking out names, without, um, without um, trying to, to make sure that nobody got killed or arrested or in some way interfered with because they had given... So he, he doesn't really believe in, in, in limits. And there, there I think, are the two... The, it illuminates the, the difference. Finally, what, what can be done about this? seems to me that, in, again, in uh, in democratic state, there is much that much more that can be there's more than that can be done to make the secret services more open, more transparent, more more um, accountable than is presently done. Actually, they have changed a lot, especially in the last ten years, possibly could argue the last twenty years in Britain. Uh, and for a while also in the United States, the secret services didn't exist. They existed, but nobody ever talked about them. And if, they were, if some cheeky radical in the House of Commons raised the subject, the minister concerned would look at him stonily and say, I have no comment. Uh, the budget was secret. The offices were secret, although sooner or later most people got to know where they were. Uh, and the, the uh, people who worked for them 
had a cover of working for, in the case of MI6, this, the um, Secret Intelligence Service, which works abroad, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. Their cards say Mr. X, Foreign and Commonwealth Office, even down to this day. Uh, they were then, in the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, they then gave up, not existing, uh, existed, uh, and in the last 10 years, and especially in the last two years, prompted really, although they were not admitted by Assange and this, above all the Snowden revelations, they've come out more. The, N the GCHQ, which like the NSA is the most secret, i.e. The, list the listening post, the one which actually gets most, uh, most of the money uh, and which does bulk collection on people's um, communications data, um, uh, actually took a, um, a journalist from the Times um, around their offices. Uh, a man called Ben McIntyre, who's an expert on, on spies and secret services and assistant editor of the Times, who wrote a very, very good book about Philby uh, a year or two ago. Uh, and he was taken around the offices, and every time he came to some to workstation, the, um, the, the, person, the person in front of it switched off the computer. So he didn't see what was on the screen. The guy may have been playing solitaire, but it was kept, it was kept secret. Uh, um, and he was told by the people who conducted them around, the senior people, that uh, they were doing fine. And he wrote a couple of pieces saying that they were doing fine, and, but they switched off by the computer when I came around, um, and uh, that was that. Uh, it was, without defaming Ben McIntyre, who, as I say, uh, does write extremely well about the past, uh, it was certainly an exercise in public relations. Um, uh, it was, and I would, I would tend to believe this, but it was to say, we are, we are liberal Democrats. The people here read The Guardian. Um, uh, they, are, they would walk out. The man who used to command NSA said, um, if I told them to spy on people, i.e. to read the content of people's communications, they would walk out. Um, we, the, that you, there are, this is not a nest of evil people. There's a people doing a job trying to catch uh, terrorists. <coughs> and that may well be true. I would tend to believe it is true. Um, nevertheless, it's public relations. What can be done beyond that seems to me to be first for the, uh, for the agencies in this country to brief and possibly even hold televised briefings on areas which they know best. What's happening in Syria? It would be rather interesting to get their views on it without them giving away um, any secrets or um, any on ongoing operations or, in, or, of course, revealing the names of anybody. It would be rather good to have a powerful, a powerful figure or a powerful office, much more powerful than the parliamentary committee which, um, which overlooks the secret services, which itself only came into existence in the 90s. It would be good to have an office which, an ombudsman, a secret service ombudsman who, who reported every year and reported to Parliament where there would be a debate and where one might have, say, a televised debate, something which was a day at least of discussion and reflection about the role which secret services play. And more. There's more than that. There's more that I put in the book that I've talked to 
people both in the services uh, or have been in the services and journalists, some of whom at least, and many in the services admit that there is more they could do and perhaps more that they should do. Indeed, Michael Hayden, who ran the NSA and previously had run the CIA in the States for a number of years, when he retired and wrote a memoir, said that there is more we must do if we are to keep the trust of people, especially, of course, after, after the Snowden revelations. The common thread between journalism and the secret services, apart from the fact that we both ask people questions, um, is that both journalists, journalism, and the secret services claim to work in the service of democracy. If that is the case, then they should, I think, be able to come to some kind of compact which doesn't endanger necessary work, doesn't render uh, journalists into patsies, but does allow more to come out which would inform the citizens of what's being done with their money in their name. Thanks.